0: Welcome to The Raptor Show on the Sports Radio Network, brought to you by Campbell's new Chunky Spicy Soup. It's time to get fired up. Make sure you find The Raptor Show, where we listen to podcasts and subscribe. Please rate and view this show. I'm your host, Wayne Lou. I'm joined by co-host Blake Murphy. Um, yeah, great event last night. If, mm-hmm. For everyone who went out to Raptor Public, um, the live show, big thanks to Zarrar, um, you know, Samson, Lewis, guys like that for putting it on. And yeah, it was a great time.
1: Yeah, I had a good time. I mean, great turnout at the Rivoli, which is, uh, you know, the usual spot for for our stuff. It, um, it is definitely the go-to. Yeah, Yeah, uh, it was good. It was a lot of fun. I, I thought your guy, I mean, our panel that went on a little later was good. It was like a like very player development focused. We had mm. Brendan Lefwich, who's a, an assistant coach for Raptors 905. He was a great uh, speaker. Great speaker and like really fun getting him going. So he was recently playing college ball. Mm. Um okay. so like he's played against like Maxie and quickly Kentucky teams. Oh yeah. Um so he he was he <laughs> was telling I I set I knew Damlin, Andrew Damlin of Raptors Republican, and who also calls the 905 games on on Mississauga Radio sometimes. I knew he wanted to set him up for it at one point. But I could tell like Andrew had asked him about his playing time questions in college and then like the conversation steered elsewhere and i tried to like hard turn it back I'm like no no set him up for the kentucky set and Leftwich was like rubbing his hands ready to go talking about how like um like broken play down big he yammed on tyrese max and, oh yeah wow um so he has that uh right. he has that but it was cool like like he's 26 so versus um You know, other coaches we've talked to in this space and other coaches I've talked to in the G League space before, you know, he is fresh from playing Like, he played Mm -hmm. against Marquis Noel in high school, like in the New York high school scene. He played against some of these guys in college, so for him to have that level of youth and energy and positivity and stuff like that and connect with these young guys – at that level, versus where yeah. you know older coaches have to come at that differently, and maybe it's less a personal connection, more purely. bad. it was it was cool to talk to him about. Um, but I thought your guys' panel, the earlier one with you and S and Trey, Iman and, and Samson mm-hmm. was you know like that that could have been an hour if we had the uh, if Derek had a censor button ready for you, that could have been an hour <laughs> oh, yeah. on this show. It, we should have just recorded it.
0: I was so happy that a it wasn't recorded and that b the 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 audience wasn't like live tweeting anything that yeah. anyone was saying because it's like. You could just actually, you know, not
1: let the chopper fly, but just, like, you know, speak more openly and candidly about things.
0: G- well, yeah, you don't
1: you don't have to worry about, like, oh, if I word... The, I need to word this a specific way because what if the aggregation, you know, uh-huh. misinterprets it or miswords it or whatever? Yeah. Um, it was a lot of fun. It, there's also, like... Like, I, I saw some people asking, like, why isn't this release as a pod? Or, like, can you guys record it and, and release it? Yeah, first of all, it's not up to us. But also, like... This also creates a benefit to doing a live event and, like, having the community around it and, like, I don't know, when you guys did the live event last year that that Bobby Webster went out to, did you record that and release it as a pod? No, we didn't. That was actually a specific request from the PR staff. Okay. Yeah. 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 This, was, so, this is this staff. It, I see you Josh Sue. Yeah. This is oh, yeah, the thing, I sir. This was a specific request from the Raptors 905 PR staff to not let left Witch Cook in recorded fashion. Uh no, it was a lot of fun. And you guys did a lot of trade deadline stuff. We did, yeah. Um do you want to start with there? I got a, some rumor roundup ready for you. What you got? What you it got? It is uh it's pretty quiet today. It is obviously the day before the trade deadline. Uh I went back and I looked at some prior trade deadlines to see, you know, how quiet Is this right now versus prior years? Well, last year, there was one trade on the Monday of deadline week, zero on the Tuesday, Mm -hmm. one on Wednesday, and then 12 on the Thursday. Okay. Uh, The year before that, there was a little more action. There were five trades over the Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and then 10 on the deadline. Um, The COVID year, like the the restart year where the deadline was late in March, Mm -hmm. um, there were 16 on deadline day. So, kind of everything waited until that. Um, And then if you go back, historically, there has always been at least one trade today. Mm -hmm. We got that. Simone Fontecchio. Yes. uh, To the Detroit Pistons for uh, the draft rights to Gabriel Persida, a 2024 second round pick, and Mm -hmm. uh, Kevin Knox, who I'd imagine will be waived or just sit on the bench the rest of the year or whatever. So, we did get that one today. Um, but rumor wise, it feels quieter than usual. And before we get into the specifics that are out there, there aren't a lot. So I'm not bearing the lead or anything here, but how much of this do you think is based on the fact that OG and Pascal and Terry Rogier, to be honest, I, I don't want to include him with those two guys, but, but in terms of who's going to get dealt at the deadline, like three of the biggest deals already happened. Yeah. I mean, this is,
0: that's not the norm. Like the norm isn't <laughs> that you have those type of big deals earlier, in the deadline uh, the norm is that you get all of them you know on, in a glut tomorrow which by the way we will be on air from 1 to 4 p.m uh there's also talks that uh there is going to be a availability with uh a member of the Raptors front office if I had to guess probably Bobby
1: Webster <laughs> yeah. Yeah, who knows maybe Messiah shows well, there, up there there will uh, be an availability we're just not sure it'll happen during our hour exactly
0: yeah it's tentatively scheduled for the 3 p.m hour but I mean who knows uh, again, things got, you know, wrap up a little longer. Deadline days is a little unpredictable. But, yeah, we'll be on from 1 to 4. But, yeah, typically that's when the deals get done. So, um, I think from the Raptors' side, the OG one seemed like he was pretty much going to New York anyway because of the agent changed and things like that. So, you got that deal done. You got, the, you know, a, a pretty good return from it, uh, RJ and Quickly. Um, they're now two pieces of your young core. And then the Pascal trade, I just felt like they had hit a point where it's like, okay, Clearly he's going to get dealt. Clearly you've looked at the whole market and Indiana is the one place that it has the right conditions. He's going to resign there. They have things that they will trade you for him. And you may be able to squeeze them for more. And I would have preferred if, you know, again, we've already gone through this, but they took the deal that was on the table and then they left themselves this window where you can now try to move Bruce Brown. So I'm sure you have some Bruce Brown rumors for me at some point.
1: Yeah. Uh, let's start with Bruce Brown. By the way, I do want to, if we have time, in this segment or at the end of the show in the Around the NBA? Do you remember? So we worked together at the score. Uh, I was there 2013 to 2015. You were, mm. I think, 2014 to uh, yeah. a little later. 19, until 19. Yeah. The 2015 trade deadline is the one we got to work together with the giant whiteboard in the war room yes. and everything. Yeah. And nothing happened until 2.30. And there were 12 trades involving 43 players in yeah. the last, like, half hour of deadline day. I want to go back through some of those with you after. Um, but right now, we're going to look at the the rumor roundup here. So, okay. Adrian Wojnarowski of ESPN was yep. talking on the Woj Pod, and he didn't get too deep into this, but he used the term "very good chance" mm. that Bruce Brown moves. Um, the specifics were light. He mentioned some of the teams we've we've heard pretty regularly: Lakers, Knicks, Bucks. Um, Jake Fisher, our, our pal at Yahoo Sports. Also included a note that um, the Knicks have been more focused on Bruce Brown than other options. Like, say, they've been attached to P.J. Washington at one point. Mm. The the focus seems to be more on Bruce Brown. um, And the Raptors were looking for in the range of a first value-wise. So if not a first, you know, a high second and a prospect or something like that is the way I interpret that. Now, Michael Grange has a a piece up at Sportsnet.ca today that is mostly talking to Chris Boucher and Bruce Brown about their different kind of perspectives on sitting here at trade deadline day, and we'll talk Boucher stuff in a second. Bruce Brown's basically is like, I don't care, man. Like, like I, I know the game. I, I've been traded a bunch of times. Uh, I, I didn't sign a lease. But within that, Grange says not only are the Raptors asking for a first, mm-hmm. they have been offered a first for Bruce okay. Brown. Right, so so Grange, on including in All there, right. like, now we don't know the specifics. You know, he kind of, he didn't report this. News. He kind of, uh, this was editorializing or him reading between the lines that maybe a 2024 first was offered. And given how many picks the Raptors could already have in this draft, they're trying to get a, a future first. And then who knows, maybe maybe you're arguing protections and stuff like that beyond that. But Grange's article does include the note that a first round pick has been offered for Bruce Brown. So yeah. um, that is, I think the firmest we've heard on what the Raptors have actually received in terms of Brown interest versus what they're just asking for. Um, don't know if you saw that note or this is the first you're hearing it, but how encouraging is that to you to hear that a, a, at least some first has been on the table? Oh, first off, I'm voraciously
0: consuming any piece from Michael Grange, our, our teammate here at Sportsnet. No, especially around the trade deadline because, like, yeah, you, you want to know every insight. I'm listening to every pod right now. It's it's sick, man. I'm not even listening to music. I'm listening to Brian windhorse Maybe he'll say the words Bruce Brown. My ears will perk up. I'm listening to Woj Pod. He's, he's bringing it now daily with uh, – him and Bobby Marks for this week, you know, listen to Low Post, et cetera, et cetera, right? Um, yeah, I, look, I think that that's that's great. And I think um, for the Raptors' purposes, like, if you have that one firmly in hand, now you can go around the rest of the league and say, okay, can you Eat top it. this offer? Yeah, and if you can't, then we'll go back to it. I think the only concern, I suppose, is, like, if that somehow slips from the table. But, again, like, this is, this is I, guess, I suppose, typical trade deadline negotiations. And they'll be making lots of phone calls between now and then. And look, um, look, but yeah, if you can get a first round pick for Bruce Brown right now, I'm pretty happy. Yeah.
1: Pretty there, happy. there will be firsts that get traded and assuming the DeJounte Murray and, and, you know, Zach Levine's hurt at this point, but after DeJounte Murray, like Bruce Brown's close to the top of the table in terms of names we've heard are available yeah. or could move like, like the reporting. Yeah. And we'll talk to Mark Stein at three o'clock. The reporting seems like Kuzma's probably not going anywhere. Yeah. The, the way the, the latest he leaves seem, maybe someone has to come back over the top, mm. but in terms of Don't guys, Kuzma, <laughs> Please. It's the best nickname we've had. Uh, you in gotta, sports. gotta free Delon though.
0: Yeah, get you DeLon can free Delon. Get DeLon, yeah. Delon to Denver. Delon to Denver would be nice. They've always done well with like long ish point guards yeah. who don't necessarily need to handle the ball all the time. Yeah,
1: KCP. I mean
0: KCP can shoot a little bit more, but yeah. um, Monty Morris. Yeah. Will the, Barton the even to a degree?
1: Monty assist
0: the T.O. <laughs> I see. That's a bad name. <laughs> yeah.
1: Um okay. So the the thing that would follow from and who knows? You know, this Bruce Brown theoretically for a first. Maybe Mm -hmm. it's the Evan Fournier salary and that's off the books and you're good to go. Maybe it's a more Davis-Bartons type where you're taking a little bit of money for next year. Who knows? Maybe it's even, you got to eat a salary for next year, but it's a better first. Uh, Who cares? We, We can see that when it comes. Just looking at it as Bruce Brown for a first. Yeah. Would that, like, we sat here when the Pascal news came down. You are pretty disappointed with the return. Yeah, totally. If it, if it turns out you turned around and swung one of those pieces for a fourth first-round pick, and it's more like Pascal for four first, do you feel a little bit better about it?
0: Oh, uh, for sure, for sure. Because I think the Bruce Brown piece was definitely going to be, like, you're holding value for, like, uh, in, like an intermediate kind of uh, time frame. But I think, for me, the question is, you know, which direction do you want to go? Do you want to specifically get the first, or do you want to get a prospect? You know, and I think that that's something that, was actually posted to us last night um, mm-hmm. at the R panel, so I'll pose it to you. Would, you. would you rather get a first for him, or would you rather get a prospect for him?
1: I mean, it depends on the level of prospect. Like yeah. I would say, like to okay, use what's an like example, the lowest prospect you would. To use an example, we've kicked around. Okay, if you could, and this is this is a not the best example because Milwaukee's salary structure makes Bruce Brown kind of difficult to to work out. But bear with me here. Sure, I would value Andre Jackson Jr., who is. Toward the end of year one of his rookie contract, and was okay. a recent uh, late first round pick, and has shown he can play and contribute in the NBA. Mm-hmm. I would value that more than some, or I guess he's sorry. He was a thirty sixth overall pick last year, not not a first round pick, but mm. e- either way, um, I would value that a little bit more than some generic late first. Now, obviously, like if we're talking about a pick that's twenty twenty nine, un, completely unprotected that's a little different. But if we're comparing, say, an Andre Jackson Jr., who has three more years left at basically the league minimum beyond this year, has already shown he can contribute in spot minutes to a a very, very good team Mm -hmm. and has some of the skill set that fits what the Raptors are looking for, if you can get a guy like that, I value that more than another late first in 2024, probably even more than a late first in 2025. Um, You know, he's 22, so he's the same age as Scotty. He's not, he needs a couple years to reach the type of player he's going to be, Mm -hmm. but there's a lot more certainty to me in Even though he was only the number 36 pick, the fact that he is, you know, first of all, locked up very, very inexpensively, yeah. um, but also like has shown, hey, I can play minutes on a really, really good team already. That, to me, is more interesting than a, a guy who, with the 28th pick this year or next, you're going to hope can become Andre Jackson Jr. Can I pop quiz? Um, since Doc Rivers
0: took over five games ago, how many minutes do you think Andre Jackson Jr. has played? Eight total?
1: 37 seconds.
0: Yeah, he's been at DMP in four of the five games, and then the one game they lost to Utah by 15. So he played 37 seconds of garbage Do you
1: time. Have, maybe you don't have this handy. How, how many does Marjon Beauchamp play? I think it's actually the exact same number. Okay,
0: I think it's the exact same
1: number because I saw the stack come
0: around and I couldn't really believe it until I yeah. Like, Beauchamp's went to look up. played only only in that
1: Utah game since January 27th.
0: Yeah. So no, Doc has literally not played a single guy under 27 since taking over, which Damn. is not that surprising. I guess it's like okay, veteran coach wants to like you know make that push, whatever, but. I and mean, he wouldn't be the first guy to just lean on the older guys. But, yeah, I mean, they've also had some, like, guys in and out in the lineup, too. And, like, Dame, for example, didn't play last night. But, yeah, it's, yeah I would I mean, say listen, it, if you could snipe those
1: guys, I'd be pretty happy with it, you know? I would say it is a little bit surprising because Jackson's been – obviously, he's not, like – you don't play him in your top eight in a playoff series when you're a title contender yet, but he's been good for them. And then Bochamp has hit, like, 40% of his threes this year. Like I like Marjan, too. Yeah, yeah. Like, that, like, he's not – he's not the – greatest sophomore of all time or anything like that, but, like, he can hit a three. He obviously has uh, some good length there. We actually talked about him a little bit last night uh, with Brendan Lefwich because we were mm-hmm. talking about the G League Ignite experience, and he had worked with Marjon Beauchamp uh, last year as a rookie when when okay. Lefwich was with the Milwaukee, uh, the Wisconsin Herd, rather, and just kind of, you know, how much more pro-ready he seemed than a rookie maybe coming out of mm. one year of college. Um, yeah. You know, we need to see see more there. But that's – if you're a team talking to the Bucks and yeah. Marjon Beauchamp and Andre Jackson Jr. aren't playing much, the Bucks have no firsts that they can offer. They've got a high second from Portland this year. Right. Um, but that's about it. Like, so th- those two guys are interesting to me. Not the- not just for the Raptors, for anyone. So you, you said earlier that Bruce Brown,
0: for the Bucks to car Bruce Brown, would be pretty difficult contractually. Yeah. Why is that? Like, who would
1: have to give up in that context? So they would have to give up Bobby Portis and – and or Pat Connaughton, um, and, or like if it's only one of those guys, multiple additional players. So Bruce Brown makes $22 million. Okay. Um, The Bucks are, you know, they got to be at least mindful of the tax impact, taking on extra salary and stuff like that. And basically, they have Giannis, Dame, Brooke, and Middleton mm-hmm. who make a ton of money, everyone else making the minimum, and the only guys in between are Portis and Connaughton. Right. So if you remember 2016, the year the Raptors went to the conference finals, Everyone wanted them to add at the deadline. This is a good team. You've got a chance here. Let's make a run. And their contract status was set up so that Patrick Patterson was the only guy with a yep. mid-tier salary. Yep. So every single trade scenario was Patrick Pat It was our own HBAP. Yeah. P pat and a pick uh, oh, for whatever, you know, like people were talking themselves into Keith Morris, who yeah. oh, probably yeah, at that time was still better than Patrick Patterson, but not for very much longer. Or Son Eliasova probably.
0: Yeah. Changed um, for years.
1: So that's the situation they're in where, okay, if you have to pair Bobby Portis and Pat Connaughton to get Bruce Brown. Yeah, that point like, you're taking two guys out of your rotation. Yeah, and this is already a fairly thin team. Right. Um, so maybe Bruce Brown's not the target for them. Maybe it's like uh, we heard, um, I think Mark Stein had mentioned that it, it The idea was at least floated, but it, it doesn't have traction that like, okay, what about turning Bobby Portis in like Grant Williams or something like that? Yeah. And that's more of a challenge trade, like a, a win-win. But if you're a team that's selling, you know, you're, you're probably you've got to have a better player than Bobby Portis from Milwaukee, who also makes like less than 15 million. Yeah, which is tough. That is tough. Okay, so maybe that deal is not there. But I
0: mean, I don't know. Maybe you swap it out. Gary. If if, like, if they're like Gary, for example. Yeah. Chris, I suppose. Um, I don't know.
1: You know, G- yeah, Gary's a little easier to make the the cap math work. He makes $3.5 less than yeah. uh, than Bruce Brown. But you're still talking like, still, you know, he, he has, yeah, he has to, to be enough of an upgrade on Pat Connaughton and all the depth pieces that you'd have to use to make the salary right. math work. It, um, it sounds so, like
0: they really want to swing for DeJounte Murray. But again, I don't really see how they can get it done. Milwaukee. They'd
1: have to put Middleton in the deal. Yeah.
0: Probably, like they, you saw Middleton um, left the game yesterday. Yeah. Uh, yeah, ankle sprain. Yeah, KD uh, contested the shot and had to foot underneath. I mean, it wasn't like, it wasn't
1: Zaza sliding the foot underneath. He was just there on the contest, but. Actually, sorry, I misspoke. DeJounte Murray's contract is still light enough that they could do it with Portis, Connaughton, and extra, but they don't have a first. They don't have a first. That's it. So uh, Atlanta reportedly wanting two firsts there. So that's the Bruce Brown latest. Yep. What else do you got for me? So there's not a lot of buzz on Chris Boucher right now. I think at this point, every Toronto Raptors person has. Written like, yeah, Chris Boucher is available. Uh not me, Chris. Remember yeah. that when you're still here at the deadline. Yeah. Um look, you're not gonna get a lot for it. Um okay. but Grange had what I thought was an interesting quote from from Chris Boucher yeah, that, that I want to read to you. Um, so first of all, Grange said Boucher's pretty resigned to it. And, and this is Boucher now. Uh, I mean, everything has to end, right? So if that's, what's going to happen, then cool. Hopefully it will put me in a better position. You never know what could happen with what's been going on this year. Obviously I just got to wait my turn. I guess if a better situation shows up and they decide to send me somewhere else, so be it. Yeah. Uh, he later went on to explain to Grange that like maybe earlier in my career, like these DNPs, I'd be out here complaining to media or whatever, but mm-hmm. he just, he knows the business at this point. He knows what it is. Yeah. It was kind of like. This a little sad to hear him talk about that. Like I no, used the stat sure, the man. other day that like Boucher has been like like by far has contributed more off the bench than any Raptor ever. Yeah, at this point he's been a staple of these teams in the same role for a long time and is obviously a guy we mm-hmm. like a lot personally. Yep, we've all enjoyed as a player. Um, obviously his his backstory and his story at this point. Great guy in the community and stuff like yep. that. So Very generous. To, to see him you know be at this spot where he's like. I get it. The CD is Hopefully, I end up in a better situation if I go. It's, it's a tough part of this whole thing. Okay, so how do you think Chris got to this situation? Because for me, if, if you ask me why Chris
0: is like essentially getting pushed out, it's not really like salary purposes because the Raptors do like it's it's not an issue for the Raptors to hold Chris for like ten million next year. Um, it's not necessarily because he doesn't have the quality to play on this team because we see the quality of players who yeah, play. He's on this better team. than guys who are playing. Come on, man! Like McDaniel's over top of him is just crazy. I think the the real thing maybe to me is just like Darko wanted to implement this, this style of ball movement and Chris's biggest weakness is moving the ball and making the right reads offensively. Um, and if he's going to play as a big, I guess, you know, it's a little bit difficult because look at the bigs that they like to play, right? It's like Jakob, Jante, Thad. They're all the high elbow. They're throwing like nice little high-low passes and stuff like that. Even Precious before the trade, you know, they would try right. to use him that way. Yeah, so, and I think that, like, it's just it's difficult to envision seeing Chris do that role. Is is it just, like, the coaching change happened and all of a sudden he's not as favored? Because I do feel like for Chris, best case scenario for him in terms of how he can contribute to a team is if he ends up on a team with, like, a heliocentric player, somebody who's going to have the ball all the time, controls all the action,
1: and then he can crash around that. Would be a great fit with Dallas's second Dallas' second unit, for example. Because those lineups are either Dunchich focused or Kyrie-focused, yeah. and you can be an offensive glass crusher, a transition mm-hmm. runner – um, and they'll they'll play like an actual center next year. right. And and
0: I think under their Knicks like well we're pretty much gonna play like Fred and Pascal. They're gonna operate sometimes. Scotty's gonna operate. But genuinely speaking, it's like more isolation heavy, more pick and roll heavy. You know, the ball's not gonna swing nearly as much. And then yeah, I mean we just want to sh- send everybody to crash the glass as much as possible. Like I think when you change the system over to me, it felt like okay, it didn't actually change in Chris's favor. But do you think there's any other
1: reasons why they want to push Chris out? I mean, I think he's kind of been, like, just wrong wrong place, wrong, wrong timeline, I guess, where, like, okay. he is... I think people still think of him as like a younger guy, but he's 30, right? Like, yeah. like them, them re-signing him on his last deal was very happy for him to get that, you know, three-year deal and, and get that full money. But it was a little bit more money than we expected. I don't mm-hmm. know that we expected him to get three full year, three years fully guaranteed. Um, at that point, that was like basically the full mid-level fully guaranteed uh, for three years there. So um, that's part of it. And, and so I think they do that thing. They do that contract because they were still in that mode of, well, we could win or we could develop. And Chris was a good piece for that because, like, he could help you win now mm-hmm. but also is a good culture guy and maybe had some upside left. And now that you've moved off of these other pieces, you know, his meme about, like, being Will Smith, that mm-hmm. uh, you're the last one left in the Fresh Prince house, like, that is kind of how it feels. Like, it, it feels yeah, like sure. this has less to do with Chris the player and Chris the contract value as it does, like, they have tried to turn the page and there's just an edge of the page catching.
2: yeah, uh, and, right.
1: and it just, like, it's more, I guess, symbolic than – anything. It's also just I mean, these things there's a reason Chris has so many more bench points than anyone else in Raptor's history. It's that you just usually have a lot of turnover in those roles. Like mm-hmm. it's it's yeah. not it's normal for a guy to last six years as your, you know, fourth big. It, it just doesn't happen that way. Um so I don't know. I hope he gets moved because I think he's better than he's gotten to show this year. And I think Chris in a in an environment where he can be himself a little bit more and, and kind of and part of the issue this year too has also been like him playing with players who have um, redundant weaknesses with him, mm-hmm. like those lineups where he'd play with McDaniel's and Atchua. Oh, God. like like you can't oh, you can't God, do that. That's not going to get the best out of any of those guys. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so I hope he, he finds a, okay. a new spot here. Yeah, I'll miss uh,
0: if if Chris does move, I'll, I'll, I'll miss his uh, um, just openness, honestly. Yeah, in general. Yeah, like, come on was... the show and air it out. <laughs> I'm uh, on your yeah, out. <laughs> listen, Chris, we'll maybe have uh, to call you tomorrow as well.
1: Uh, okay, so last one on the rumor roundup. Um, we can revisit the Dennis Schroeder, uh, the Wolves monitoring in on that. Uh, Michael Grange talked to a league exec who said if they move Dennis, you would be looking at seconds at best. Um, so, like, um, I, I try to warn people in my mailbag, like, yeah. you're not getting Nasri. No, you're, you're not getting you a first. You gave me the
0: second, and what would you, what would you get? It was a
1: second and a bunch of pieces to make the salary math work. Right, With right, Troy, So like this is,
0: Milton or something like that. Yeah,
1: Shake yeah. Milton, Troy Brown Jr., and Jordan McLaughlin make the salary math work. But you'd yeah. also, you'd also unload that. McDaniels in that deal. So you're out of his deal for next year. Right. Um, he has a player option for next year. He has a fully guaranteed. next He has year. a fully. Gu- yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um, so the, uh, the one thing I wanted to revisit with you on this is okay. I don't, I don't know that Minnesota is this desperate for a backup point guard, but when I was looking at the salary matching stuff, one name that I didn't mention who maybe I should revisit mm. Kyle Anderson makes a little over $9 million. He's a pending UFA. Oh, yeah. He has not fallen out of the rotation yet, but he hasn't scored double-digit points since January 14th, and his minutes okay. have dropped off significantly. He's only, He hasn't played more than, tw- more than 19 minutes in a game in the last, like, eight games. Mm-hmm. He got a tech off the bench last night for just, like, whining to the refs that, like, borderline custom the game okay. um yeah. it is i don't know how much of this is like wolves fan sentiment on twitter uh-huh. is sour on kyle anderson but the minutes are down the scoring is down the role appears yeah. to be down he's obviously still a good defensive piece do you think minnesota would swap out someone like that and i'm i'm not framing this because mm-hmm. kyle anderson is interesting to me as a raptor it's just to find a, something that works for a dentist trade where yeah maybe it's Maybe it's not Troy Brown Jr., Shake Milton, and Jordan McLaughlin that you're getting back. Maybe you can attach a, a draft asset to Kyle Anderson. It's still probably only like a some sort of second, but. Yeah, okay, so I think there's two parts. Number one, from the Raptors side,
0: if you don't have Dennis, who's running back a point for you? Kyra. Kyra Lewis.
1: J- give JFL some touches. Okay, all right. Scotty maybe, back in I, the I, true I, point I, guard role a little I, I, bit more. I I feel like Darko's been resistant I mean, to doing it. Maybe that. you asked for Jordan McLaughlin back in that deal still just so you have a backup point. Okay, okay, whatever. So I, I think, you know, that will
0: op- open up something yeah. where it's like you got to address who's going to run your yeah. backup point. To the point of Kyle Anderson as a return, the only thing with that is, like, I like Kyle Anderson as well. You know, right. would I want the only Chinese uh, NBA player in the league to, to come on the Raptors? Absolutely. <laughs> come to the Raptors, higher. Uh <laughs> But I think the other part is just he's he's sturdy. Yeah. So I, I just... It, this is, it doesn't really fit the timeline. It's like the same kind of... Issue you already have right now with yeah. Dennis and Chris on the roster,
1: but he's expiring is the is the thing where those guys aren't. So you're you're out of the money. Yeah. Um. Yeah. It's not like look again. It's not about Kyle Anderson on the Raptors. It's just about I I I wanted to re bring it up because I feel like I dismissed that as a yeah. as a Dennis option yesterday when we talked about it. Okay. Um. So just wanted to to hit on that. But that's about it for the rumors that are out there. Like I said, wow. it's Since quiet. It's it's quiet right now. But you, you know, hopefully things will come up. Um, it, you know it's you know it's bad when even like. So the way these things work at this time of year, obviously Woj and Shams aren't going with stuff unless they're very, very certain of it. Mark Stein, who's going to join us at 3, isn't going with stuff unless he's very, very certain of it. Then you get there's, like, the next tier down who will maybe be a little bit more aggressive Mm -hmm. with rumors um, versus it being an actual thing. And then you've got, like, the lower tier down where, like, it's throw anything at the wall because it doesn't hurt me if I get something wrong, but maybe I could... Even those ones are quiet.
0: Yeah.
3: It's oh so quiet.
1: Creepy. Derek, I've
0: worked with you three years now. I never heard that That's one creepy. before, man. You got, you got new wrinkles in his bag. All right. Well, you know, if, if it's quiet, then Shh. let's actually just talk about the actual basketball stuff. Okay. You so, want to take a break first? So when I take this break, I've been your host, Willow. You've been listening to The Raptor Show on the Sports Radio Network, brought to you by Chunky's new, or Campbell's new, Chunky Spicy Soup. Uh, when we come back, we will get Steve Jones Jr. in here to talk actual hoop instead of just trade rumors
1: diving deep into Leafs, Raptors, Jays and NFL. The JD Bunker's podcast.
2: Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Welcome back to the Raptor show on the Sports and Radio Network. I'm your host Lou, I'm Blake Murphy to my left and we're going to bring in, through the magic of Zoom, um, Steve Jones Jr. of the Dunker Spot joining us on the program once again. Steve, what's going on, man? Ah, uh, not much. Uh, happy to be here. Excited to be here. Yeah. Uh, the
2: first domino has fallen. Simone Fontecchio. That's what we're here to talk Brady. about, man.
0: Yeah, break, yes. break that down for us. The, the, the Pistons Loki, add more shooting around Cade.
2: The the funniest part about the Pistons season, the subplot of just more shooting over and
1: over and over again. Yes. Like,
2: hey, this kind of works. Yeah, Muscala, Gallo, Pontecchio, yeah, let's do it.
1: More shooting. Let's yeah. let's, let's get it done. They do get into that core. They do give up uh, the draft rights to Gabriel Persida, though. So yeah, tell us uh, about him, too. You know, he's averaging nine <laughs> points a game in the Euro League. So, you know, there's a there's a real cause here. Um Steve, look, we're we're joking around a little bit here, but you did have an interesting tweet about kind of the kickoff to deadline season here, and I wanted to ask you to to expand on it a little bit. Um, so you said you wonder how much of the shift to acquiring talent via trade in the offseason. Has changed the trade deadline. Now, we still see a lot of trades at the deadline every year. It's been double digits every year for as long as back as you can track. But it does seem, at least anecdotally, that a lot of the legwork is done in the offseason. There are fewer teams maybe willing to go into the season and have big holes to address this time of year. How do you feel about it? like you kind of you kinda asked it as a as a philosophical, but I would like your take on your own on your own question there. Uh, well it, it
2: was just a thought i've been sitting on for a little bit uh, obviously the cba and the second apron have an impact I, I trust all of the fine cap folk people to break that down for me personally it's just felt like teams have wanted to keep their assets and it's felt like the trade market is stronger in the off season and that cap space and those players they have might be more valuable for them from a flexibility standpoint than just pure free agency and it feels like there's just a little bit less desperation in the air now. I, it's the trade deadline, so we're going to see movement. I wouldn't go that far, but it's just okay. Even I go back to like when the Zach Levine trade talks or discussion first started, it was no shot at Zach Levine, who has premier talent. But I was wondering what context is he going to elevate a team to in this specific season, where this league is so competitive. And I, I just think it's 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 tough for me to understand. I'm trying to balance the shift and realize, okay, maybe teams really believe in what they have and they just want to add to their core and we can shift later if we need to. But we want to find out what we have now.
1: So uh, we don't get to do this very often, um, but let me throw this at you as a purely hypothetical. What if the Boston Celtics gave up uh, two second round picks for uh, Xavier Tillman uh, right now? It just happened according to Woj. What do you, uh, what do you think of that ad for Boston as a, as a depth frontcourt move? Oh wow. Well, that's fun. Yeah. That's uh,
2: better than Simone Fontecchio for uh, I, yeah. Hey, and Xavier Tillman. I think that's the that's the kind of move they're looking for, to mm-hmm. where we can bring someone that has a talent that addresses a potential need but doesn't take away from our core. We don't have to give up pieces of our core to add to it. So, Xavier Tillman should help Boston. Context-wise, how much opportunities is he going to get? That was always my question with Boston, to where yes, there may be gaps, there may be things you need to fill. But does it change the fact that we are rolling with KP? We are rolling with Al Horford. These are the lineups we're going to play. We just kind of need you to mix into it. I, I actually, now that I think about it, it kind of feels like last year for Boxton. They just had like a bunch of bigs and it's like, wait,
0: now Blake Griffin's playing? Mm. <laughs> but, but X should, he should help him. That, that's, a, yeah. that's a strong move. I think it would be interesting because I, I, I don't think Boston was ever fully comfortable with like Namiya's
1: Kita or Luke Cornett. Por- Portuguese legend, Nami Kita. yeah. 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 I Derek, mean, Ber- Derek Brandeo our our technical producer's favorite player without knowing it. For sure, yeah.
0: for sure. Um no, but I, I do think it's yeah, I mean Boston has been looking for that like one extra big I think maybe they were like linked to like Chris Boucher, but like Chris realistically could not have. They fit. also didn't have the Switch cat money. math to make it work. So yeah. Yeah.
1: All right. Interesting. So, Tillman I, makes the minimum, so.
0: I love this, man. In no other context, we'll, we'll have asked you about Xavier Tillman. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, we did it. <laughs> okay, so let me ask you this, then. This isn't Xavier Tillman specific, but you've been on the team side. You've been an assistant coach, a video coordinator, things like that. This week or, or this kind of chunk of weeks here – what is that like for someone in your role who's on the team side and is now responsible for yeah i'm sure you're watching the rumors and having fun with that but like you got to onboard xavier tillman now if you are the steve jones jr of the boston celtics right yes
2: you are going right to work as far as making sure i have everything ready offensive playbook wise here are the calls here's the sets here's what we run here's what you need to do specifically and then you have the defensive side where hey this is our scheme this is the calls for it this is our language here you go and that part of it is weird there's also the human element Mm. where it's like you know there's a person that you've like seen every day for the last few months and they're just gone and here comes someone new and you're trying to integrate them while still doing your job and trying to win games and get better It, it gets tricky it gets tough but yeah you absolutely are like as soon as a trade hits it's all system go probably get a few emails few text messages hey can we get this ready and then you just gotta you gotta go get it done because you don't know when someone's gonna
0: pop in your office and be like, hey, you got that done? You got that done right, bud? Mm. So for the for, okay, hold on, take us through from the, the the new incoming player side. Like, so what? They just got like a two giant PDFs in their email, and then they just gotta go through and learn everything in, in the playbooks.
2: The best example I can remember is when I was in Memphis and we got Tayshawn Prince. Okay, and we had I had like five edits I had to get ready specifically for him. And so it was offense, defense, it was personnel, it was our guys, what we, what they like to do, our spots, our language, our terminology. And so it was just the plays, the little corner had the text on it, like, hey, this is yeah. what we're doing. Uh, obviously, you got P- PDFs, playbooks, all this good stuff that you just have to have ready on deck to hand over
0: mm. and be like, here you go. Interesting. I like this. <laughs> you know, we don't talk enough about like the, I don't know, the logistics of how an NBA team works and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I mean, it's cool.
1: It's one of the great things. Is is Tayshon
0: enough of an old head where you got to hand him, like, printouts and stuff? (laughs) Back in the day, we did. (laughs) A lot
2: of of paper.
0: I am so sorry. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> yeah don't worry you and taylor swift uh, you'll, you'll be next uh uh <laughs> sorry sorry swifties um what else did you want to talk about
1: yeah i mean okay i have one other before we get into some specific yeah, yeah. like team we stuff talk Phoenix, I we're talk you, the jazz. This, this is more this isn't really you from the coaching side, but this is you as a basketball analyst what if you're on a contender right now what is front of mind for you like obviously you just kind of laid it out the, the way you feel about this trade deadline. Well, there's no like even a Zach Levine level talent. How do you figure out the fit in the context? So we're looking at guys a little further down. Is your priority right now? If you're in a GM chair, Hey, it's got to be fit first. They have to fit what we do. They have to fit with the guys we have, or are you just trying to upgrade talent wise of like, Hey, we're only going to play eight in the playoffs. We got to make sure that eight is as good as possible. Or is it more the Celtics style where like, yeah, I mean, Xavier Tillman probably not playing big minutes in a playoff series, but they got to get there and make sure they get there healthy. What's front of mind for you if you're running one of these ships? To me, it's fit. And I think when you talk about it in the contender lens, if you're already at
2: that level of success and you have guys that have bought in and understood the mission and you're on the right track, you don't want to disrupt too much of that. So it's kind of like that insurance zone where someone could elevate into that top eight if needed, but we're not necessarily disrupting what we already have trying to patch something up to where you feel better about like the archetype of the player. Like for Tillman, for example, you probably feel better about him defensively to a degree. You probably feel better about the versatility offensively. So, okay, that could help us when we need a big to do this and maybe player X is out or something is happening there. So for me, it's more like find the person that would fit what you guys do and will help elevate you, even if they're not going to get all that run. Unless you can just get like a crystal clear upgrade where I know this is going to be a smash and it's going to really help elevate our team. But I think just in these days, you don't want to give up too much. And now you're really
0: back in the reintegration progress by process. All right. So let's, uh, let's, let's talk about the, a couple teams. Um, Phoenix, big win last night over Milwaukee. Uh, one and four start for, for doc, a little awkward. I mean, he's had some injuries. He's had some like difficult schedules to play, but you know, still the banter must, must flow apparently. Um, but yeah, Phoenix, they, they look like they're starting to figure it out a lot more. They get the guys back on the court healthy first and foremost, which took a while for those guys. Um, but they look good 16 and six since Christmas. What are you seeing from the Phoenix suns and why is their offense working so well?
2: Look, I, I get the concerns with Phoenix. I understand pointing to the record, and some of the warts they've shown this season, if you want to raise your hand and talk about the defense, I totally get it. But, man, I, every time I watch them, the high notes that they can hit offensively, the type of shots that they can generate, the pressure they can put on defenses, it's tough. Like, I, if you put your coach's hat on, having to deal with Kevin Durant, Devin Booker, and Bradley Bill in a playoff series not a lot of fun. So, for me, you talk about and you think about, like, spacing. We talk about spacing a lot. We joked about the Pistons. We talked about it with the Raptors earlier think about how many teams have to empty a corner to try and simulate or create some of that pressure. Think about how Phoenix can have one of Booker, Durant, Beal, run a pick and roll with the other two on the weak side. That's our pressure. We can put both those guys over there. And I think for me, they just make you make decisions. When you have to send help, when they involve those guys together, it's tough. If Kevin Durant has the ball and Bradley Beal's one pass away and Devin Booker's in the corner and you show help because, oh, no, Kevin Durant has a mismatch, the ball is quicker than the man. and That's a swing to Bradley Beal. That's an extra pass to Devin Booker, and now it's an open shot. So when they can go ahead and create those kind of moments where they make quick decisions, that's when it gets really tough for a defense, and that's when it gets really fun for Phoenix.
1: So where would you like to see that continue to grow? Because I know even in a couple of your live tweets of the game last night, you know, they seem to be couched in a little bit of, like, well, Phoenix is still really figuring this out also. Like, it's really good right now. It's really difficult. But these guys, you know, for a big three who have to, they all have a little bit of maybe Booker, less so. but, like, Beals played alongside John Wall. Kevin Durant's played alongside everyone because he gets lonely and wants to play with other stars. But, like, this is a big adjustment for Booker. This is a, a bit of an adjustment for, for Beal. Um, where do you see even more offensive growth coming for this group or, or potential for for that trio particularly? Uh, the biggest thing for me with Phoenix is just balance.
2: Can you keep your tempo up in the half court? Can you lean into the versatility of your top three players? Keep the movement up. I think let's lean into Bradley Beal playing two-man game with Nurkic, pass and cut, and make the defense react that way. We've seen over this whole Phoenix stretch what Devin Booker can do flying off screens, getting dribble handoffs. Kevin Durant mixing in option screens where, hey, I can go off one way and go to the post or I can go right to the top and we can keep playing out of it. They can always get to pick and roll or they can always get to one-on-one or ISO type shots, and that's going to be part of the package because of the talent that they have. But if they have that balance where the blend of these guys have it going, we have to send more help, we have to send more pressure, they can make those type of shots, but we also aren't sure how they're going to get them because of the movement, because of the pace. Hey, throw it in the nerf. Let's throw a split action. Let's get some movement around it. That's the biggest thing for me. When they play with tempo and they are moving the ball, moving their bodies, usually good things happen. When it, when it gets a little sticky or it's they lean too much into pick and roll and try and generate it that way, which I understand
0: why, that's where it can get kind of tough. So I feel like for the starting five, I mean, it's probably not going to change much. I think Nurkic is settling nicely. He's given them something different than what Aiton has given them, but um, I think overall he's been pretty good. Grayson Allen has been better than expected. I know it's, it's, it's nasty to think about, but Chris Nell has been decent. Um, took pretty good, honestly, some games. I just feel like nobody off their bench changes anything other than downgrading the talent on the court. So I guess if you're going to playoff series, are, are there like three guys on this bench that you feel confident in? And if not, then should they go out and get, you know, one or two more of those kind of guys? Because you can't just go only with the starting five and be sustainable that way. Uh, I think that's been the tricky part. That was part of my
2: hope for when they were not healthy, that, hey, more of these guys are going to have these opportunities to showcase what they can do, get more comfortable. But I think that's kind of why you need some more of that movement so those guys can mm-hmm. do good things. I think the tough part is with the bench point, you're always going to have talent on the floor. But if you're a defense that does signal, we're helping off this person. And the task has to be those guys have to make them pay. So if you're if you're talking three – I could probably get to three, but if you're in a playoff context, because of what they have, Josh Akoji beat us. Yeah. seriously yeah. Little beat us. You know, that's, that's the part of the program where those guys are going out to, to make enough shots or enough plays, even if it's via cuts, via drives, to where, okay, we're outside of the liability zone offensively, to where we at least can punish you for what you're trying to do.
1: This isn't uh, specific to the Suns the rest of the way, because, but I, I ask you this because he's the one guy. Look, the Suns are leveraged to the tilt in terms of like w- how much extra money they can take on and these incoming pa- extra penalties and stuff like that. If they're going to make a move at this deadline, it probably involves Nasir Little. Um, he makes 6300000 million. He's got three more really affordable years left, but he's basically not playing at all. He's still just 23. He was a guy that I, I know people liked enough that it seemed like a reasonable bet on, on that four-year extension in Portland. Um, if a team were to have something that Phoenix liked and could maybe spruce up their bench, you know, someone in the like $7 million range, um, is Nasir Little a guy that you like as kind of a new environment flyer for for one of these selling teams?
2: Yes, I feel like Nasir Little will be the piece to get the piece. I think the problem for Nasir Little is just the context of this Suns team okay. to where I think they believe in the talent. The problem is we need the consistency portion, and we need specific things from people that are out on the floor. And it's not to say he can't do it. It's just we're going for a championship, and sometimes when that happens for a younger player, it can put you in a different place mentally. If you're not performing, doing X, Y, and Z, well, let me throw this person in. I know they're going to play defense at this level. Or uh, let me put this person in. I know we're going to get drives out of that. And so that's where I think it gets tricky for Little and Phoenix. But, yeah, if you're another team, that's a young guy on a good contract who you probably could grow and uh, allow to spread his
0: wings a little bit more in a different context. So I'm totally with you there. Yeah. I I think the reason the bench question popped in my mind is um, I was watching the game last night and I'm like, man, it's a lot of uh, Giannis dunking over Drew Eubanks man is that is that bull bull and I'm like these guys should not what, be. Ha- what happened
1: to Utah <laughs>
0: I was like yeah first of all, what happened to Utah but like yeah. I mean I kind of also know but uh, like uh, these guys shouldn't feature for a team that good you know what I mean like the starting lineup is so good and then yeah you just get worse and worse when the bench comes in um the Jazz very deep team now that's a team that has lots of depth they might even move off some of the pieces we'll talk to Mark Stein about that in, in the next hour but um big win last time they beat the Thunder which is always impressive. Chris Dunn, given Shea Gilgis-Alexander trouble. Yeah. Is it is it time? Am I just going to, do I have to clear out so you guys can nerd out about Chris Dunn? Yeah, that's, no. That's like Blake's favorite Later players. in
1: the year, Steve, I really do want to do the Chris Dunn All-Stars with you, which is guys <laughs> who, guy like, to get Chris after Dunn it all-stars. defensively and are yeah. just good enough offensively to stay on the floor, but barely. Mm.
3: Uh, but that's hey, that's market. another day. Yeah. Right. Uh, sorry. Sorry. <laughs> no, I, I had to
1: chest out about Chris Dunwell.
0: You did. You did. Yeah. What did you want to? What did you want to ask about the Jazz?
1: Yeah. I mean, mostly. Um, I'm curious from a from a player development standpoint and how the Jazz function offensively. Larry Markkinen has obviously been a, a really nice story the last two years. He's going to continue. He makes like no money next year to um, trade stuff aside. How a guy like that has been able to turn himself into such a versatile scorer where among forwards he's near the very, very top in three point percentage, two point percentage, ability to get to the line and, and convert his free throws. But one thing that stands out is there's not a ton relative to other stars of self creation. Will Hardy and the Jazz have created this environment where Larry Markinen has basically become a super elite play finisher, but they don't have to ask him to create a ton. For himself. How do they how have they been able to get that out of Lowry Markinen? Um, it, it's just like it's kind of contrary to how we normally think of like 22, 23 point a game guys.
2: I, I think it ties into the offensive versatility of the Jazz and the way that they use their personnel. Like you mentioned, Chris Dunn. The fact that they can use him as a screener off-ball or use him as a hub guy is huge. I think what Will Hardy does such a great job of is he takes his personality, he understands, okay, you guys can do different things. Let me allow you to do those things. You look at the play of Colin Sexton. But tying it back to Laurie Markkinen, it's fun to watch how they're able to use his skill set in different ways. Like Utah overall does a great job of spacing the floor. They use guys in different positions. But the way they run their offense is unlock that versatility of marketing. And so you can play two bigs. You can play one big. You can play him at the three. Uh, He can fly around off screens. I think that's a huge part of their offense and his success. Um, It can be a big that's screening for him. It could be a guard that's screening for him. He could be spaced. You know he can knock down shots, but he can drive closeouts, cut, but he uses a screener. I think it's the fact that he's just a little bit of a moving target Mm. to that degree to where his scoring doesn't just come in one way. And defensively, you can't completely lock in on one aspect. So if he's in the corner and they're setting a pin down for him, is he coming off this screen? Is he going to cut back door? Is he going to flow into setting another screen? And now is he going to slip that one? Is he cut into the post or is he coming off another one? When he does, when he catches it off these screens, he does a really good job of, you know, getting momentum. So it's not necessarily always him at the top of the key, trying to generate a shot. He's able to get downhill most of these times and now get a paint touch or I can kick it and move and get another one. That's the fun. That's where I think I credit Utah understanding what Larry marketing does well and just enhancing that.
0: Yeah. Well, I think this flows to my question because a lot of times I watch the Jazz. Like, last night I'm watching the Jazz, and I'm like, man, this team is just so well-coached, and there's clearly an identity and a system of play, and they're just plugging in, you know, various pieces into this. But then I'm trying to quantify, like, specifically what makes, what is the hallmarks of a good coach in this instance? Like, why am I feeling that he's a good coach? So, you know, I'm going to ask somebody who actually coached, like, <laughs> what, what is it that you see from a coaching perspective that makes this whole thing feel like it's working way better than what it is on paper
2: buy-in buy-in will be the biggest indicator okay when you see utah when they cut what does it look like how hard do they work defensively Mm -hmm. how well do they move the ball those are going to be hallmarks of okay everyone understands what the objective is and everyone is bought into it and Mm -hmm. playing their style i think that's why you have to develop relationships and earn that trust so guys know okay Maybe it might not be my play here, but I'm gonna get a touch. Or yeah. a coach knows who I am. So I'm gonna be used, <clears throat> excuse me, to the best of my abilities. Mm-hmm. And you know, you look at a guy like Colin Sexton or Jordan Clarkson, you probably have a traditional mindset about what they are as players. For sure. But because of the context that Utah has given them, just go do that. Go score, go penetrate, go oh. drive, go play your game. And these shots are acceptable. This will work. As long as you're doing this, we're good to go. I think that's probably the
0: hallmark of the well-coached teams. Mm. The buy-in. Okay, that's the th- that's the thing because it's hard to see that. You know what I mean? Like, people always talk about tactics or whatever. It's like, if you don't get them to buy-in and really, like, try to run the stuff that you want them to get to, you know, it's almost impossible to evaluate. The other thing that I, I think you can very easily evaluate based on this, even just rookie season, Keontae George, man. I, I need your thoughts on Keontae George. Man, this guy... Looked very comfortable in this game. He's a rookie, but he's knocking on huge shots, pull-up threes. Uh, yeah, honestly, was surprisingly a surprisingly good passer as well, too. I think maybe coming in, the scouting report was he's not that good of a passer. He's mostly a scorer. That dude looks really good. And, uh, yeah, I'd love to hear your thoughts on Keontae, George. Is he a future starting point guard in this league? Yes. Every, every time I've seen him play, even going back to summer league, I
2: was like, hey, this kid's got something. Yeah. This, this guy can play. I don't, I don't mean to be basic, but, like, he can hoop. Yeah. And you kind of see that pop more and more. Uh, it's not just the uh, – it's the comfort for me mm-hmm. that he's developed over the course of the season to n- take these shots, make these shots, make these plays. And I think a big key was he played his way into the starting lineup. You kind of felt the pressure that he had in that starting lineup. Yeah. And then he moved back to the bench. And right. he now it's like, go play. Go play your game. And now you can close games. I think that little subtle shift was huge. But he's a hooper
0: yeah no I, I was gonna say that was one of my favorites for who the raptors could have taken at 13 but we don't want to relitigate this today but uh steve we not, appreciate not you coming
1: off grady's career high uh
0: <laughs> you don't want to hear about some of the other career highs of the rookies in this class that were available at 13 but uh, we're gonna let steve go so we can argue in the next five minutes of this break appreciate you man and uh yeah thank you for all uh, for always taking your time um we're going to take another break here. I've been your host, Willow. You've been listening to The Raptor Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network, brought to you by Campbell's new Chunky Spicy Soup. When we come back, Mark Stein on Trade Rumors. Let's go.
3: Fresh views on
0: everything in the National Football League. It's the Fan Checkdown with Matt Marchese and Donovan Bennett. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to The Raptor Show on the Sports Radio Network. I'm your host, Wayne Lou. I'm joined by co-host Blake Murphy. And as we do pretty much every Wednesday, uh, Mark Stein joins us on The Raptor Show. Mark, I hope you're feeling a lot better, man.
3: Are you all right? Honestly, I am, guys. I appreciate that. I finally got myself to some medical care that aided me with some very helpful but I do feel a lot better.
0: Okay, that's good. That's good because I could tell you're feeling a lot better because you've been you've been really hard at work, man. Every single day in my inbox is a new daily uh, newsletter from you for at, at the Steinline and um, on Substack. And yeah, I mean it, it's been great. We literally had like what four newsletters since the last time you came on, and there's lots of details in here about pretty much every single team is is mentioned at some point. So. Uh, we might just have to run down.
3: Yeah, man, I love it. We're a great hype man.
0: Yeah. Well, no, I'm I'm not even kidding, man. It's every single day. And I feel like if I just want to keep track of just trade rumors in one spot, this is this place to for it. Um, and so I've collected a lot of them. I'm just going to run through a lot of that. Obviously we start here in Toronto. Uh, the Bruce Brown thing. I mean, it seems like the latest reporting from sports very own. Michael Grange is that the Raptors do have a first round pick offered to them on the table. I'm guessing that it's from New York. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think the curiosity from this week is could the Raptors potentially be the landing spot for, like, a DeAngelo Russell if there was a three-team trade possibility out there? Because I think Dave McManaman brought that up this week that uh, obviously the Hawks don't really want Russell back uh, in the. if they were to make a DeJounte Murray trade. Could DeAngelo Russell land in Toronto? I want to start there for you.
3: I, I cannot say that I have directly heard... Raptors as a potential third team in a DeJounte Murray trade because honestly what I would say about that scenario is Atlanta's trying to get two first and does if that does that scenario furnish them with two first I think that's really the bar that has to be hit first for the Hawks to want to go ahead with the DeJounte Murray deal and to this point there hasn't been a scenario where they come up with two firsts and the Lakers only have one to play with right now. So mm-hmm. I can't sit here and tell you that I've heard that scenario. Cause I genuinely haven't. I did see the Grange report about if Toronto indeed has a first round pick for Bruce Brown, then that will come, I think as a relief because it, there hasn't been a lot of noise in the ether suggesting that that is looming so if that's true um i'm sure they'll be thrilled because it's harder to generate firsts in this marketplace than anticipated i think you guys probably mm-hmm. saw the stat last week where bobby marks from ESPN tweeted out about how 11 teams hold 75 percent of the tradable picks right now so it's just not that easy to get a first um but you know the deal isn't done yet so they haven't gone through with it but um by the way, I do love when uh, when Masai does a press conference and he just does Grange like five times in each press conference. That is one of the highlights. But um, look, I I have not I I can't say that I've heard they have it, but okay. We will we will soon see. We will and soon look, see. One thing I did cover. One thing I did cover today, which I, you know. I think I think we're, what you're seeing this week where we, we've only seen two trades today and they were very small moves, Fontecchio to Detroit, Xavier Tillman I reported about a week ago that Memphis was going to trade him and they have now traded him into a trade exception in Boston. Those are really small moves, though. And I think with what you're seeing and how the action has slowed considerably, I, I think Toronto does have to feel pretty good that they did – the pascal deal when they did i think they read it right in mid-january that do this now because the offers for siakam are not going to get stronger three first is the most that they were going to get at that point and they were able to get bruce brown they've been trying to trade him ever since maybe they will succeed maybe they won't succeed but i think i think they maybe happy is the wrong word but relieved to a degree that they've at least had this opportunity to try and if if Mr. Grange's report proves correct and they've got the first, then we will see them cash that in between now and 3 p.m. tomorrow.
0: Yeah, that's the hope. Well, um, elsewhere in the Eastern Conference, uh, Milwaukee. So clearly they're on a win or go home kind of like pressure. They've already, you know, dismissed Adrian Griffin midway through the season, brought in Doc Rivers. Um, I think they probably want to upgrade their roster as well. Um, what are Milwaukee's plans? Because you're seeing, you know, Bobby Porter's and Pat Convent come up a lot now in terms of you know pieces that could move for the Bucs to get the upgrades that they clearly want for this year?
3: Yeah, they're definitely being very aggressive. They're as aggressive as any team in the league right now. I reported earlier this week that there were some exploratory talks between the Mavericks and the Bucks that would have featured Bobby Portis and Grant Williams switching teams. But swiftly after I published that, it was relayed to me that the Bucks would not do that as a straight-up deal. They would only trade. Look, Bobby could do something substantial. Milwaukee has to trade Portis, which I don't think they want to do. Obviously, Portis played on their championship team. He's a really well-respected veteran there. He's got a pretty sizable locker room presence. I don't think the Bucks want to trade Bobby Portis, but their only substantial salary to trade Portis is making shy of $12 million. Pat Connaughton makes about 9500000 million. They're going to have to trade them if they want to get something in terms of a significant salary back. Um, again, in the Dallas talks, they would have wanted more than Grant Williams, and I don't think the Mavericks were amenable to that, so I don't see that progressing and becoming serious. But just the fact that Milwaukee has been willing to entertain some Bobby Portis discussion I think that tells you kind of how seriously they're canvassing the market to try to find upgrades they need. They know they need defensive upgrades. And the reason maybe Grant Williams would have made sense, even though Grant Williams has had a very disappointing year one in Dallas, but he does have the potential to, to guard a wider variety of positions, and I think that's why he would have held some intrigue. But, again, the Bucks are not doing that one for one. But the Bucks have no first. To trade mm-hmm. and so i think the bucks would be a bruce brown team the bucks have interest as well in dorian finney smith but if you don't have a first you're not getting those guys and the best pick that milwaukee has to trade is portland is a portland second rounder which is you know projected to land somewhere in the 35 range
1: when it comes to prospects who were recently picks how how much are we talking like once the car comes off the lot the the value drops kind of scenario because I look at yeah the bucks don't have any picks but to me you know number 36 pick last year Andre Jackson jr four-year affordable very very affordable and team flexible contract has given them a little bit like how much does the value on an Andre Jackson jr differ from one of the you know say the bucks had their 2024 first which would obviously be very very late in the first round,
3: what what is the value on guys like that this time of year? I think it's a team-by-team, team, yeah. eye of the beholder kind of evaluation. I think, you know, you guys brought up Dallas. I think the Mavericks are in the same position. The Mavericks only have one first, but they have Jaden Hardy in his second year. They have Omax Prosper, who has barely played this season, but in June was the 24th pick. How do teams feel about those guys? I think I think pretty much we could go through rosters all over the league and identify guys like that. And then it just really just becomes how each individual team and their front office rates that player. Mm. Um, But, yeah, I mean, you know, again, this is all – it all feeds into this scarcity of first-round picks. And, like, you know, the Lakers and DeJounte Murray, that's probably been as big a curiosity in the past three, four weeks as any trade topic since Pascal was traded to Indiana. And, and what has largely settled that is if the Lakers, right now they only have one first-round pick, but if they show patience and they have three at the draft, it just increases their optionality. And the Lakers are by no means the only team in that position. And so I think that's why, like, if Toronto gets the first for Bruce Brown by tomorrow at 3 p.m., I think they're going to feel pretty damn good because it's just not easy to generate one in this marketplace. I I would have thought when when they when they made the trade when the Siakam trade went down didn't think it was going to be as much of a struggle as it appears. Now maybe maybe they've played it out. Maybe they've wanted to make it look like a struggle. You know, we mm. you know, we'll we'll be a lot smarter on Friday when the deadline sounds and then we 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 get more reporting that is not being made available right now, yeah, but fair. it's you know i i I thought Bruce Brown would have been traded by now to be to be completely honest with you yeah
0: well i mean it's it's made for great content because uh never said his name so many times on this program, until uh, that trade happened, and now it's a daily fixture um, okay, over you know in terms of the other contenders, now obviously Philadelphia has a huge, huge question as to. How long is Embiid going to be out for? You know, this is the most I've learned about meniscuses in the last week. It's, uh, is he going to have it re- removed? Is, is he going to have it uh, shaved? It's, it's, uh, it's a whole thing. But in any case, maybe he comes back. Maybe he doesn't come back for the rest of the season. Uh, and if, if he does come back, that's going to be a huge variable. But, um, yeah, the Sixers obviously always can be very aggressive under Daryl Morey. He's always been a guy who has made trades at the deadline. Uh, what could the Sixers look to do?
3: I reported today that they are one of the teams pursuing Andre Drummond. That's a long line right now, though. I think there are a lot of contenders that would love to get Drummond. His rebound numbers, particularly at the offensive end, have just been sensational and limited minutes. He's not even playing 20 minutes a game, but he's really inhaling rebounds right now. So Philly, obviously Drummond would help them in the short term with Embiid presumed to be. I mean, there's no specific timetable yet, on Embiid, but you have to think, just common sense wise, that you know six to eight, six to eight weeks just seems like a safe assumption, if we're allowed to assume such things from the outside. But the Sixers also want a shooter, and Bojan Bogdanovic is a guy who's oft mentioned. It, I don't know, man. The Pistons, though, just the Pistons mm. continue to send these signals that they're <laughs> not trading. Boyan Bogdanovich, which, I mean, if he stays there two deadlines in a row, I mean, that's, just, you know, I am, I, I, I find it baffling. Jake Fisher reported last night that the, the Sixers are looking at Buddy Heald, too. And, you know, Buddy Heald is another guy on an expiring contract. And, and frankly, the Pacers have been, uh, you know, I think pretty open to Heald trades all season, but increasingly so in recent days and weeks because Heald's role has been diminished somewhat. So, Yeah, I think I I think we can uh, expect Philly to do, you know, to make a move or maybe even two around the edges. But interestingly, the the Sixers also have tax concerns, so they're trying to dodge the tax. But um, Daryl Morey has never had trouble being. Active at the deadline, so with uh, with the Sixers, always expect action.
1: Speaking of uh, tax situations, and you know, I the, I appreciate the Golden State Warriors. Every new CBA basically teaching the entire NBA fan base about hey, how do the very upper echelons of the luxury tax and, and aprons and things like that work? Um, so they're looking at a situation where they're trying to continue to win. Now they have these astronomical tax bills. Further complications to building your roster are coming uh, to where. You know it sounds like they're leaking that there's actual interest in Andrew Wiggins out there given his despite his contract status um man what do you have a read at all on, on where the Warriors are gonna go here they, they, this is a this is a weird situation competitively financially and emotionally with the way the season's gone for the Warriors
3: I mean look on Wiggins I can only talk about my reporting mm-hmm. and yesterday I reported that the Mavericks Reported interest in Andrew Wiggins has been overstated after I published that report word was relayed to me that the same holds for Milwaukee. I don't believe the Mavericks or the Bucks to be in on Wiggins at this point. What I have heard is, you know, Golden State has obviously been exploring every conceivable trade option with Wiggins for at least a month. I think that will continue up to the deadline. But I think the Warriors also understand it's a year one mm-hmm. of a four-year deal. And Wiggins, since the 2022 finals, it's more than a season now that he's been well shy of that level. It just doesn't make for ideal circumstances to try to trade him at this point. And so I think, I, I think you could also, if you analyze it, you look that... Um, sorry, I lost my train of thought there. It, he's With with Kuminga, Kuminga has just been a monster lately. Yeah. And I think has validated how many times have we heard Kuminga's untouchable, the Warriors won't entertain it, don't even try. I mean, he's been sensational since the calendar flipped to 2024. And Draymond Green has played very well since he came back from suspension. And I think Wiggins playing with the both of them, it has gone better here lately. Do the Warriors, is, is their best option at this point, just trying to keep Wiggins for the short term, get through this season, reassess when the off season comes? I would argue that that is probably better than what they're going to be able to get in a trade. I don't think it's reached the point that they have to, like, throw in a first to mm-hmm. trade him. But okay. you're not trading Andrew Wiggins without taking back contracts that you probably don't want, so why do it? Like, what is, what is really the appeal there?
0: Yeah, well, I mean, that's the thing. My my thinking of all this was, is he a negative asset? Because, I mean, the last time Wiggins was traded, he was a negative asset. That's how he got on the Warriors. And, of course, he played a lot better, you know, won the championship, all that kind of stuff. So that, that clearly will change some things. But his career kind of goes up and down like that. Um, a team I'm curious about is Utah. Because when I watch Utah, they have so many productive players. And a lot of them don't necessarily fit the right timeline. And, of course, Danny Ainge has already been, you know, a, a guy who has kick-started that rebuild by... Making those two big moves with uh, Mitchell and Gobert. Um is is Utah a seller or are they a? Uh, I guess they're not a buyer. Are they a seller at this deadline right now? Because no,
3: they're one hundred percent okay. a buyer. It's just I'm sorry, sorry, sorry. One hundred percent a seller at this point. I misspoke. Okay, and I'm quite happy with the Jazz because I reported when I posted my story today that you so beautifully hyped up for me, and the check is in the mail. Uh, I said. Utah is guaranteed to make at least one trade this week, and about an hour later, they uh-huh. traded Simone Fontecchio to Detroit. So the Jazz are in my the Jazz are in my good graces as we speak. But yeah, no, it's it's really interesting because Chris Dunn is such a good defensive guard. Multiple teams would love to try to acquire Chris Dunn. Mm-hmm. Kelly Olynyk, we've been talking about his availability for literally weeks. I mean, he's a floor spacing big man, a veteran who's been around the block you know he has no shortage of teams that are interested in him i still think there's a level of interest in jordan clarkson around the league although this year you know clarkson's contract it's really next season when it when it dips below 15 million and becomes much more attractive so is a jordan clarkson trade going to happen by tomorrow or is it going to have to wait until the draft. But yeah, I mean, I honestly, I think the jazz, I think Utah's phone is, is literally ringing off the hook. They have multiple players who a lot of good teams around the league want. And it's, it's really interesting because they, you know, they've also got, you know, the the, the various young players that they're going forward with and building around not just Lowry Markinen and Keontae George. And, I mean, they've got, They've got some really good things happening there. Colin Sexton is another one where Hmm. I think in the summer, it was assumed that Utah was going to look to trade him. His numbers as a starter have been fantastic. So I don't, I I would imagine that, you know, the, the, the price point on a Colin Sexton trade has risen. I mean, again, Utah is truthfully as fascinating a team as there is at, at this deadline. Mm. Okay.
0: Um, I also wanted to ask about uh, the Nets, because the other team, that's a little confusing to me,
1: is, like, what what are they doing? I guess, are they sellers as well? Because skepticism, the Raptors, will get a first for Bruce Brown. They think they're going to get a first for Dorian Finney-Smith.
3: Yeah. Dorian Finney-Smith only in year two of a four-year deal, and I, you know what? I think they... I think they will be proven. Now, when it was two, you know, the talk was two firsts for Dorian Finney-Smith. I think that was outlandish. That's absurd, man. Come on. But, but do, they, do, they, do they get a first now for Dorian Finney-Smith, or do they wait and trade him in the summer or at the draft? I actually think that is a defensible and believable stance. It, Royce O'Neal, the talk is more that, okay, will they relent on Royce O'Neal and trade him for two seconds rather than a first or, you know, multiple seconds, whatever it is, depending on how serious the bidding, I think Royce O'Neal and Spencer Dinwiddie are more likely to move than Dorian Finney Smith at this point. But yeah, I mean, to me, Cleveland, you know, so much talk is, can they re-sign Donovan Mitchell? You know, can they keep Donovan Mitchell? You know, Royce O'Neill is one of Donovan Mitchell's best friends on earth. So if I'm the Cavs, I'm I'm trying to get Royce O'Neal by tomorrow. Mm.
0: That would be smart. I mean, he would fit nicely into their what they got going on. I mean, they're also they need a
3: three, I mean, they want a three and D player anyway. Yeah, Why not get a guy sense. who's gonna make Donovan Mitchell happier about where he plays?
0: Yeah. Also, no, the Cavs are fourteen and one in the last fifteen. It's the one of the biggest surprises of the season, especially given all the injuries. And then the last question, I guess maybe bigger picture. If we step aside from all the teams, it's like is do you feel like there's if there's like is there one potential player that's like quote unquote holding up the market in terms of once that trade is done the other trades will kind of fall uh the rest of the dominoes will fall is is that kind of a scenario no, that could be
3: playing out or no No I I I think the truth is it's just the answer that we we don't want to I'm pretty sure we covered this ground the last time I was with you guys but I don't totally remember but look this is my 31st trade deadline in the NBA and I know how it goes If today and tomorrow don't deliver fireworks. Mm. Everyone is going to say this trade deadline sucked. Yeah. And on Friday, everyone's going to say it was a dud, mm. wasted our time, blah, blah, blah. How can you say that though? When we, we, we've had it before today, t- put today aside, we've had six trades before today. Included in those six trades, James Harden on Halloween, OG Ananobi and Pascal Siakam and Terry Rozier, all trading. If we rewind just two, not even 2 weeks before the season started mm-hmm. Damian Lillard was traded to Milwaukee Drew Holiday was in that deal and then Portland turned around and traded Drew Holiday again mm-hmm. so we've we've actually seen a lot of stuff and that to me is the factor like you you you're just in-season trades are harder than off-season trades but we've already seen a bunch yeah and so We're not just going to get infinite trades because we all love the transaction game, and that's what we want. And then remember, Mm -hmm. if you go back a year, I mean, a year ago, Kyrie and Kevin Durant got traded in a four-day span right before the deadline. Oh, yeah, that was fireworks. Had we talked talked a week before that, nobody would have projected either of them getting moved. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I think a dose of realism is needed here. We've seen a lot of trade moves.
0: Yeah, but, you know, Mark, this is, this is, you're absolutely right. Like, for, for sure, that's all reasonable. But, you know, like, this is, like, July 4th, I suppose, for NBA fans. It's, like, trade deadline. All we want to do is sit in front of our laptops or our phones or whatever, uh, our Vision Pros, I guess, if you can do that now. Uh I totally And, and agree. all we want to see is that, fireworks on lab... the time. Like, we want to see you tweet about transactions, woes, shams. Like, all oh, we just want to be like, oh, wow, this happened, this happened. You know, it's like, it's like watching a fireworks display. It really is.
3: I always tell the story that NBA life for a media person as I knew it, it changed. I want I'm doing this off the top of my head and I always it was either oh seven or oh eight. I was at ESPN mm-hmm. and Earl Boykins got traded and I broke the story and it was I want I can't remember was it Earl Boykins to Denver? It was a January trade. All right. Earl Boykins was the headliner. And my editors at ESPN came to me and said, you will not believe the traffic that that story just did. Really? Okay. And, and from that, and really from that uh, moment is when, like, I really started tracking it that just, like, yeah, in this league, the transaction game, it's just, it, you cannot, we we cannot deliver enough and talk about it enough. And it just, it is what fascinates people.
0: Yeah, that's why you got to listen to hashtag This League Uncut. It's another promo. It's another promo. But uh, Mark, we appreciate you. Thank you for coming on to, sh- you know, go through the the trade landscape as it is, and uh, we'll see what happens tomorrow because we will have a three hour show. So NBA executives, please make as many trades as you want during that. Twenty
3: three hours to go to see if the Raptors get a first for Bruce Brown. I can't Day wait. Two. This
0: it's a great it's a great saga. What's
3: net five nights.
0: <laughs> there you go, Mark Stein. Uh, appreciate him us going the news.
1: promo back.
0: Yeah. Um, by the way, that trade he's talking about, Earl Boykins traded to Milwaukee in 07. Okay. Remember that he was in Devon for a while, um, and then he went to Milwaukee. I, by the way, I don't know if it's because Earl Boykins was like obviously he's like famously like a very small player playing mm-hmm. in the league. I don't know if it was because he was small or because he liked to wear baggy shorts. <laughs> but the shorts, the the shorts, the leg ratio was never <laughs> more. Uh. Yeah, anyway, yeah, it's just, yeah. he just looked like he was wearing gigantic capris every single time. Yeah, and he um, was. I mean, that was, was the Huber, style, at the, as was, was
1: the style at the time, yeah. as, they, as they say.
0: I feel like Earl Borgans had, like, a big game against the Raptors one time. I remember watching it just, like, in, like, complete, you know, disbelief. I'm like, how is he doing this? He's five six. Yeah, he's cooking us.
1: That's, uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know, man. There's a lot of bad players, or I guess not even bad, just, like, yeah. yeah. There have been some moments in, in the franchise.
0: Yeah, I'm going to look for that during the break. But I think one thing I, I should want to... This
1: be on Earl Boykin's mixtapes. Honestly,
0: I might look it up. Um, that's like a 240p error of YouTube is Earl Boykin's mixtapes. Um, the one thing I want to ask you, too, because I was thinking about Utah, and I guess we talked about Utah in two segments here with Steve and with, uh, with Mark. Mm-hmm. Utah looks like the best case scenario in terms of, like, if you pivot towards a rebuild and you want to just rebrand the whole idea, what it would look like in terms of just, like, Right now, they're only 500, but they're a very competitive 500, right? right. Um, they got a new coach to come in. He clearly gets an identity. Any player that he – essentially any player he puts in the rotation, whether they're young, whether they're older, whether they've played, you know, in a different role, position before, they come here to Utah, and then they actually start becoming quite productive. Like, I even don't mind what John Collins is doing for them, for example, right? Yeah. And, and you know, uh, Collins-Saxon, they've got something different – the big example of that is Laurie Markkinen. um They turn him from, like, a – yeah, starter guy to like, oh wow, he's like a you know all-star level yeah. player. Um, that's kind of what I wanted to see from a rebuild. Of course, they also timed it right, they they hit the market right, they got the most they could get from Mitchell, they got the most they could have got for Gobert. Um, but I think on the coaching side too, that's what I would have liked to see from Darko, maybe not just this year, but maybe going forward as well, is like you bring in a system, you bring in a style of play, you get that buy-in as Steve Jones was talking about, and all of a sudden you get to a position where everybody you bring into to tr- the doors in Toronto looks good, and then you give yourself that position where you have the flexibility to trade that line to say, okay, we can move these other guys for more and more assets. Because if I had to guess who was going to be the next, like, OKC style of team, mm-hmm.
1: probably be Utah. Yeah, it might. And, and look, they're doing the, you know, yeah, Markkinen is not Shay, but that kind of like, hey, we're going to rebuild, but you don't have to sell every single piece because mm-hmm. eventually you're going to be searching for a guy who's as good as Larry Markkinen or as good as, Shay Gilgis Alexander. Like, like there were people who wanted OKC to trade Shay away as part of their teardown because it was mm. like, oh, he was a couple years older than these picks are going to be. And like, how crazy would that have looked now? Yeah. Um, because you think they, the age gap
0: they, between Shay and Chad is bigger than the age gap between Pascal and Scotty?
1: No, it's smaller, but it's uh yeah, it was a conversation that people had.
0: That's wild, man.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I had that conversation too, but it was purely to try to get oh, Shay to Toronto. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> you know, Shay conversation predatory. is facetious on this show. Yeah. You know that. Yeah. Yeah. I have no shame when yeah. it comes to yeah. Comes to Shea. Yeah.
0: No, but seriously, like they, they bring in guys and guys who didn't even feel like they had that much value, they bring mm-hmm. them in and all of a sudden they rehab their value and now they're about to move them out for more.
1: Yeah. You it's a,
0: it's it a very makes, it's perfect synergy between the front office and the coaching. Yeah. I'm
1: it's a very like Tampa Bay Rays baseball style mm-hmm. thing where it's like, okay, you know, there's a running joke of like, oh, I love this trade for the Rays. Who did they give up? Who did they get? <laughs> it's like you just love it for them because you know they're going to yeah. net value on it. Now, I wouldn't go that far with the Jazz, but like, yeah, that's a team that like, if you looked at that team on paper three years ago, mm-hmm. like, yeah, they're bad, bad. They're not. No. And, like, Will Hardy, obviously, we, we've given him, you know, shout-outs on this show before. Yeah. He's coaching a really good, uh, a really good team um, there this year. But, yeah, I don't know. It's what you want to get back to organizationally because it's like, like, obviously, you develop, you create value by hitting on draft picks, finding guys below the draft slot, finding good free agents, you know, below their value or whatever, or young players before they break out. But the other thing is you can manufacture extra value on your build. And, and like, that's mm. not to say that if the Raptors had done the same thing with Jordan Clarkson, Jordan Clarkson is a part of the future. But if you pay a second for someone and then turn around and a year later trade them for three seconds, say, yeah. you just magically created two seconds. Yeah. Um, and that stuff adds up over time, even if no single one of those moves is really going to, uh, you know, like them turning around and trading Chris Dunn right now, in addition to getting me to not, not watch the Jazz anymore. Oh. um, It wouldn't be like, Oh my God, this changed the direction of the franchise, but it would be you took a 10 day guy mm-hmm. and turned him into a good enough player that you could exactly. turn around and trade him for something.
0: Exactly. In the infamous words of prop Joe, buy for a dollar, sell for two. That hit I don't I, it's hard to do, do the you Baltimore try to do the accent. Voice? Yeah, I don't know. It's it's impossible like yeah, this week. I'm okay. not even gonna try it. We're gonna do the last break for today. I've been your host, Willow. You've been listening to the Raptor Show on the Sports Radio Network, brought to you by Campbell's new chunky spicy soup. When we come back, round the NBA.
1: Breaking
2: down the top stories in the NHL every day. The Jeff Mary Show. Subscribe and
1: download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Welcome back to the Raptors show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. I'm your host, Wim Lou. Me and Blake Murphy are going to go around the NBA. And of course, I forgot, but there's a Raptors game tonight.
1: Raptors Hornets. That's right. You excited? Um, so in preparing this segment, not only did I remember that there was a Raptors Hornets game tonight, which because, so for, okay, let me okay. rewind here. So yesterday we're at Rivoli for this Raptors Republic event. Yeah. And I see the news that Fred's not going to play this week against the Raptors. He has yeah, an industrial right. strain. He's going to be out a handful of games. This isn't just Toronto, but he's not going to play on Friday. Mm-hmm. Although he, he did, he was in Indiana yesterday. Um, the, oh, I'd imagine he travel. I don't yeah, think it's yeah, like yeah. that big, but he's not playing yeah, no,
0: he, he, had a, he had a nice little hug with, with Pascal. Nice. After the game. Um, Pascal played great, by the
1: way. Yeah. Almost a 30-point triple-double, and, uh, yeah, they needed all of it in a very close win over Houston. Yeah, some, some fun games last night. It was kind of like zooming through to try – like, I, I once I left the event, I locked in on OKC Utah because that one was mm. in the middle of the third quarter at that point, and then, yeah, tried to catch Yo, a, trust
0: uh, the listen to this man's dedication. He left the event is, with friends and went straight home to watch uh, – Utah.
1: I walked home. It's about a half an hour walk, and I was doing, I looked like one of those guys with the VR headsets that we're seeing videos yeah, yeah. of where they're like walking into traffic and Bro, stuff. Bro, is that VR they're headset like, I, for Lee Pasto? Oh, because I was walking home like this. <laughs> I'm, There's I'm no kind of difference, him. really. I'm walking home like this with headphones in, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. like, yeah. oh, locked them up, locked them up. <laughs> People on the street are like, what? What does yeah, that mean? And you're is, like, you're talking about Chris Dunn the whole time. Yeah. Um. <laughs> so anyway, uh the Fred news comes down, and this was how I remembered that yesterday was only Tuesday because I thought the Rockets game was today. Um. <laughs> And somehow the deadline was still tomorrow. Anyway, (laughs) um, don't worry, man. We'll talk Bruce Brown again tomorrow somehow. With all of this, the other Uh thing, they play the Hornets again still. Yeah. They just, man, I guess it's nice because it's the only chance you're going to get to win a lot lot down the stretch here. But they've already played two pretty ugly games against the Hornets. And they have them again on March 3rd after tonight.
0: Yeah. See, this is the first time all year I'm pulling up tankathon.com. Mm. For the reverse standings, because yeah, Raptors might need to lose this one against Charlotte, because uh, you know the standings at the bottom are are quite tight. Yeah, Charlotte is at ten and thirty nine. I mean, okay, Toronto's already at seventeen wins. Do you think yeah. Charlotte finished with seventeen wins? No. Okay, so maybe we don't have to pull up but, the techathon standings, but you
1: can at least catch Portland for fifth last. Is like you, if, you, if you are someone who you cares can. about these mm-hmm. things, mm-hmm. Uh, Toronto is currently in sixth to last, yeah. which will give you, um, assuming no tiebreaker, about a forty six percent chance. At keeping your own pick. Yeah. If you could catch Portland for fifth to last, that would I don't have the numbers handy, but it would bump you up to about a sixty five percent chance, roughly. Um okay. don't don't quote me on those numbers. Um, but it's it's something like it jumps from like forty six or forty seven percent to like sixty something in the mid sixties percentage wise. Um,
0: yeah, I'm looking at it right now. Um yeah, you're 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 about
1: you're slightly over sixty, almost sixty five percent. Okay. Yeah versus, uh, you know, being just just below 50%. Yeah, so that's a big swing spot if you could catch Portland. See, but the thing, okay, maybe this is... If you want to keep the pick is the that, other thing. That's here. the thing.
0: If you want to keep the pick, which is one discussion, that's mostly based on how much you feel like uh, the quality of the draft is going to be yeah. this year. Um, the other part to me is just like, I don't think the Raptors are like explicitly trying to lose every individual game in the way that it's like the the true tanking. I think what they want to see is like, okay, you got you got to this point where it's like clearly that's not an ideal spot but you still want to use the rest of the season to see how these young guys take their opportunities how they grow together and like if they if if they start winning if they actually pull together like really a good string of results like i don't think their front office is going to come in and like essentially rest certain guys or whatever like they actually this is a very important time for these young guys to actually take their opportunity and whatever if it doesn't happen if it isn't taken they lose fine you probably benefit from it anyway by increasing your lottery odds mm-hmm. But I think in general, what they really want to do is just like see these young guys actually take the team over and like
1: build it towards something that I can actually win. You know? Front like a Utah off- situation. Yeah. Front offices tank, players don't tank, and like once you're on the court, no one is trying to not win that but, game. Like, do you so, feel like the
0: front office is tanking? Well, I mean, uh, yes, no, of I'm course I'm saying moving that. Pieces, like the way
1: like, these things cascade is like, yeah, the front office is reorienting around a future timeline, if you okay. prefer that that framing. Um and then, yeah, I think, like, if a guy is on the borderline of being able to play, you'd be extra cautious. And that's not because you're tanking. That's because there's not as much incentive to push those things. Mm. But the more important thing, and, and, you know, I know some people just, like, reply to injury updates with the tanking stuff because yeah. it's fun or, or whatever. That's where the rooting interests are. But, like, in reality, Grady Dick is 20 years old. Scotty Barnes is 22 years old. Those guys are in there every day anyway. But, like... RJ Barrett, as a 23 year old playing a new Mm -hmm. role in a new system, is not being sat to tank. Like that, the value of that is not as high as the developmental value of RJ playing and building the chemistry with Scotty, or quickly building the chemistry with Scotty, seeing exactly how much quickly can expand the scoring Mm -hmm. load before you have to pay them this offseason. Those things matter more than like we have a 0.01% less chance of winning this game, which gives us a 0.01% better chance of keeping our pick. Like that's not the stuff that happens. Mm -hmm. Like if you, yeah, talk to me if like Jakob's sitting out games at the end of the season for rest or whatever. Um, But it's not happening with the guys who are like 24 and under. Yeah, I I think, for example,
0: that OKC game, Mm -hmm. they wanted to win that game. Yeah. absolutely and it wasn't like we want to win it and it might affect our lottery odds or whatever like they're not being like damn we won that game and then they're, they're not being like yay we lost the pelicans game like they want to see competitive basketball from these young guys and if they can find a way to win because if the struggle is not right now it's going to be next year and beyond
1: um so they're going to get to that yeah. point eventually but anyway you want to do around the nba uh yeah yeah let's do a little bit of uh, around the nba before we circle back to that game um okay Let's save the PJ Tucker stuff for tomorrow in case we need trade deadline okay. stuff. But him saying I'm actively trying to get traded is a really funny thing. Um, okay, <laughs> okay, we hit the Fred thing. Let's do All Star stuff because we found out who the dunk contest group is yesterday. Yeah, um, reportedly. So Sean's Sh- just uh-huh. put this out there, and other people have reported the names individually. But the the cl- uh, class appears to be Jalen Brown, uh-huh. Jaime Hawkins Jr., right. Jacob Toppin, the brother of I Kobe have to look Toppin, up. I have to look it up just to be sure. But yes, Westchester yeah. Knicks legend and okay. uh, Mac McClung. How you feeling? Is Jalen enough star power to have one like the format of one star, one cool rookie that people know, and two fringy guys? Is that enough for you? I I feel like um,
0: okay. I'm not trying to disrespect these G leaguers, um, but like the the dunk contest All Star Weekend should be largely for the NBA players. Like there's so like there should be a delineation. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, like, I know Mac did a good job last year. He should be invited to to repeat. I, I have not seen Jacob top and dunk. So, maybe he comes in and just wows
1: everybody. But, like, yeah, like, we, this is the NBA All-Star weekend, man. Two of the f- the four G-Leaguers? So, when there was an actual G-League All-Star, and there's a G-League next yeah, up I, I, game yeah, this year. Yeah, But That's when, fine. Like back that's when great. it was in Toronto and there was an actual G-League All-Star game and a G-League dunk contest, yeah. I really like the idea of the G-League dunk contest winner gets the fourth spot in the NBA dunk contest. Okay, I'm, you, I'm even you fine with that to one some spot. degree. Yeah, sure, like it fine. helps build the G fine. League. A guy has clearly earned his way in there. A two of four. But, two of four. And like the third one, like Jaime Hawk is a very good player and yeah. like cool story on the heat and stuff like that. But like he doesn't have the like there's not a ton of name value there. And we talked about this the other day, going through some old dunk contests. Like, it is hard to strike the right note if you're trying to build future mm. stars. But also have some star power in it, and also make sure the dunks are really good. Like I think Hawk being in it is cool. It just, I, yeah. I agree, yeah. The Jacob Toppin, I had to triple check that they weren't like. You do you mean Obi Toppin again? Yeah, that's, I mean, listen, I mean, look, I'll, I'll watch it. You know, I'm going to be there no matter what. But, yeah, yeah. I, I also like with these G League guys being in it, I do feel like the Wesley Snipes crying shooting meme where I'm mm. like, too many G League guys in the dunk contest. <laughs> oh, if Blake's uh, even saying that, you know, it's too many. Yeah, like, um, like Jacob Toppins played four NBA minutes this year. That's,
0: yeah, well, it's more than what Mac did last year. But, yeah. um, Jalen you, Brown, though, I think he's the 50. first all star since 2017. Okay. It, or maybe, uh, yeah, I think. While Mitchell was in it, but maybe this was before Mitchell even made All Star. Mm. Yeah, but yeah, it's been a, it's been a minute. That part was oh, cool. I'm excited. I mean, what, what do you think Jalen Brown's going to do? Dribble with his left hand. <laughs> oh, my God. that's not an original. That's not a very original joke, but
1: it does feel. like uh, I'm holding up a ten right now, man. Yeah. Nice burn. Um, Good burn. Here's a question for you. How do we get back to the because Ra- for a long time the Raptors were like the dunk contest team, right? Like you had Vince, you had T Mac. You had DeMar in it. Terrence yep. Ross won. Jamari uh, Jamario Moon. Moon was in it. Yeah. Donovan Mitchell throws the Vince jersey on sure, to yeah. do his. It feels like it's been a while. And then, like, in the Kyle DeMar, like, DeMar did it early in his career, and then mm-hmm. Kyle did the three point contest. But those that don't know, particularly, do not mention what Kyle Lowry got in a three point contest one year, please.
0: How do we? He uh, turned that six upside
1: down. It's a nine now. Yeah. <laughs> Ugh. Um.
0: Oh, that was tough. That's yeah. a tough
1: one. So yeah, apparently those money balls, you know, the stuff's <laughs> on the balls after uh, after Kyle shoots around with them. No good. Um, how do we get back to the Raptors having a, a bit of a presence yeah. here? Dunk contest or three-point contest? Uh, that's a good point, honestly, because, yeah, as you mentioned, there's a, there's a great lineage
0: of great Raptors dunkers. Yeah. And, like, when you look at the Raptors' current roster, like, who would you say is the best dunker? Like, if War had actually thrown out that dunk against Atlanta, I think, in yeah. one of those games, um, that would have been cool. But, like, I don't know. Every, every team's got a War-level dunker. I
1: think like, you know, yeah, Scotty, Scotty, your best dunker. He's a power dunker. No one is going to want to hear this right now. Why? It's probably McDaniels. McDaniels is
0: your best dunker. Okay. All right. Well, well, we'll we'll see if he's able to get the dunk off around Jose Alvarado with the steal. Yeah. (laughs) That should be the dunk contest dunk is Jose Alvarado pops out from the corner and steals the ball.
1: Yeah. All you have to execute is a baseline out of bounds, like cut to the rim and just like dunk it for 10 and you get 10 points. (laughs) If you do it, but Jose Alvarado's around. You think, you think, you think Marquise could dunk? Mar- if, Mar- if Marquise could pull, like, some Spud I don't web think stuff, he that'd be can. kind of
0: thick. I don't think he can. I think no, I've I looked have seen it footage up. of him dunking. Really? Yeah. Okay. It, like, somebody threw... I think um, Ron Harper Jr. threw him a lob in, like, uh, you know, where the where the shooting stars play. I forget the facility, but... Um, in Scarborough. But, yeah, I think someone threw him a lob. Okay. But it, it, it's not like Spud web where he was but able not to, in like... a game. No, no, no. It wasn't, okay. like, a... Open tryout. Well, not even open tryout? I don't know. Open practice type of setting. Okay. Yeah. um, That'd be cool to see. it would um, be cool to see. Always love short guys dunking too. Yeah. Uh,
1: shout out to just... Earl
0: Boykins. Second <laughs> shout out today. Yeah.
1: Um. So, yeah, I guess. I mean, Quickly could definitely do the three-point contest with his three-point percentage, right? Yeah, Ahmed has put in our <laughs> producer. Ahmed has put in the chat. Marquis can dunk in
0: capital letters. I'm, All right. I just like I we just need to find the footage,
1: man. I just YouTube searched Marquis old dunk and nothing comes up. So this is like, mm. like it's weird that I had that this has um, not. Like been on yeah. my radar and nothing comes up on YouTube. Okay. So I mean, like, could, I believe you guys. Dunk? I believe you guys. Have you ever seen Fred dunk? Have I seen it? Um, no, but I believe it. <laughs> I believe it. If I have seen Kyle dunk. Um so <laughs> Yeah, we see we all see Kyle. Yo, Kyle yeah. used to go up there and actually, you know, do some
0: things, but uh Ahmed has actual video. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There this is the exact facility. Okay. Um
1: good, good. We have we have on the record that
0: Marquis Noel can dunk. Uh-huh. Um any
1: other uh, all-star details? Um oh so there they we don't know the specifics yet, but the skills competition stuff is going to be in a team format this year where right. one of the teams is three pacers. So uh we'll have what? a little can con oh, with right, uh, Benedict so right, okay. Matrin. Uh, uh-huh. I think Miles Turner and Tyrese are, are the team. Did I say that right? Am I remembering? I should have researched.
0: You tell one. me, Miles Turner can't go to like the Bahamas for a week because he's going to do the skills
1: challenge. Yeah, <laughs> no, he's got a big. He's got to build a Lego for someone to dunk over. Um, and then another one yeah. of the teams is uh, is three number one picks. Oh, okay. Uh, it's right. Ben Caro, Wemby, and I don't know. Uh, oh, and Anthony Edwards are are going to team up. Hmm. As uh, you could tell, my excitement level here. I don't know. I was gonna say like. I it think, is Halliburton, yeah. Turner, and Matherin, by the way, and, and then the three number one picks. So we don't we don't know the yeah. what the format's going to be or what the other teams are, but they're at least trying to mix that event up. How can they make the skills challenge cooler, like or or Replace harder it with something else? Like, no, no, no. Okay, obviously you're you're right. Ideally, they don't have to just do this like <laughs> dribble part. The, the NHL runs drill. into this too, where like we just had All Star Weekend here, and, and the skills like it's it's cool when you can really like sitting there and being like, oh, that's a really talented thing to do. Yeah. That's hard, but like. When eight guys do it in a row is where it's okay. like, okay, this, this is lost. So, Italy. the NHL All-Star Weekend is a good example of this. Because,
0: like, they have things that I, even me as someone who doesn't like hockey, like, I genuinely find fascinating. Like, oh, when they do the hardest slap shot. Like, yeah. that's cool. Like, I want to know who has the hardest slap shot. Or when they, do they do the thing where they go one-on-one against, like, a penalty shootout and they pull some creativity and stuff like that? Like, I, I don't get a sense of a, a player's skill when I see their skill challenge. You know what I mean? Like, I don't see... It. Oh, man, he did that thing. He was so skilled. Like, when I see a guy win the three-point contest, I'm certainly like, yes, that's a skill that he's demonstrating. But, like, let me do some let, do something in that skills challenge that actually demonstrates, like, a breadth of skill.
1: You know yeah. what I mean? This is where, like, I think, I think the only way to do it would be, like, you have to have random obstacles. Like, you have to have yeah. Jose, Alvarado Jose Alvarado is behind be one of these things and bursts out at you or, like... Yeah, I don't know. Like, yeah, like a stationary like crossover with nobody around doesn't doesn't wow Jesus, us, right? Throwing a
0: ball through a hoop, like
1: man, this, yeah. a, this ain't summer camp, man. The, honestly, the funnier thing to do, the better thing to do with the skills challenge, is to make all of us do it. Okay, well, that, get, get the it, media it, it, out there. It would be a challenge for all. S of is us. going. He can do it. He could be Toronto's representative. Uh, I've seen. I've seen how challenged the skills were in, in a recent commercial. Yeah, air ball. Yeah, air ball. Um, yeah. all right. Time now for Between Lines, brought to you by Bet Rivers. Take go. a chance. Uh, we'll save some of the other NBA. We got a three-hour show tomorrow. It's 1 oh, to 4 yeah, p.m., yeah. so we'll save some of that uh, for tomorrow. The Raptors are seven-and-a-half-point favorites tonight, mm, which was favorites. pretty surprising. So this is the biggest okay. – this is the heaviest favorite they have been in a road game since – April of last year, when they played the Hornets twice in a row. Oh, and yeah. they were 15 and a half point favorites in both of those, and well, they covered Fre- in both of them. That's Fretz 2020 against Bryce McGowan. There you go. Yeah. Um, Bryce McGowan's who came up at the end last night. I know. Um, so, little injury report Gary Trent Jr. left last game with low back tightness. He's probable okay. for tonight. Okay. Jonte good. has been upgraded. The questionable with the back spasms he's mm. been dealing with. Um, okay. the, the G League guys, except Marquise Noel, are all up. Noel's still dealing with the hamstring issue. On the Hornets side, the mellow Ball remains out, obviously. Uh, Mark Williams remains out with a back injury. So yeah. two big losses there. Um, Kyle Lowry is not with the team. Gordon Hayward, Cody Martin, and Frankie Smokes are all questionable as well. So in addition to the Hornets... Frankie Smokes is still there? <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah, he's got a right hip impingement. Wow, I didn't know uh, he was which, still uh, in the league. It was for him, man. Yeah, uh, he's... <laughs> man, uh, James no, Herbert... A genuine surprise to me. James Herbert had a great piece up at CBS Sports Day talking to Garrett Temple about being on who he played for so uh, often. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Frank Nilakina would be a sneaky one. He has played five games this year uh, for the Hornets yeah, good uh, for around injuries. So yeah. that's the injury report on the Hornets side. Right, right. There's also, look, it's the Wednesday night before the trade deadline. It is entirely possible that, especially with these two teams, there's mm-hmm. a mystery scratch later tonight. We just don't know it yet. Uh, Raptors seven and a half point favorites right now. Before I ask for your take here, yeah. last game, this is who the Hornets start. Oh, I actually, yeah. Oh, go ahead. Please, please go ahead. Brandon Miller. Yep. Miles Bridges. Yeah. We don't need to talk about yeah. Ish Smith. Yeah. The <laughs> only guy in the league who's played for more teams than Garrett Temple, by the way. Yeah. Uh Nick Richards, former yeah. Kentucky teammate of Emmanuel Quickly. So so that part's cool. Yep. Do you have any guess who their fifth starter was? So
0: here's the thing. I actually did this exercise okay. with our producers upstairs uh yesterday. It's leaky black. Yeah, yeah, they they could not they could not get for the life of them Leaky Black and Ish Smith. Yeah, they're like, um, who plays point guard for the for the Hornets?
1: And I'm like, you'll never guess. Yeah, it wasn't Lamelo. Uh, they tried. They didn't want to go to Leaky Black, so they tried Bryce McGowan's in that spot the other day. Mm-hmm. If Cody Martin plays, he he absorbs that that spot. Uh, but these are not good players. The Raptors no. have obviously lost to the Hornets in an ugly one 119-116, and they beat them 114-99 this year. How are you feeling? Uh, The line's way too big for (laughs) the Raptors at this current time.
0: So could the Raptors beat a team like this by eight? Sure. But uh, last game on the road trip, I don't know. I I feel
1: like I might actually bet the Hornets. It's sad. That was between the lines brought to you by Bet Rivers. Take a chance. Did that one sound like it hurt you, man? (laughs) No, it did, man. But, I mean, even
0: the last game against the Lakers, they only lost by six points. You know, and the Lakers had LeBron and AD.
1: I don't see LeBron and AD on our side. Yeah, but that was probably but, like they were probably trying to get Darvin Ham fired or D-Lo traded yeah. or something like that. I, I,
0: you know what? I want to see Scotty just show out tonight, man. I want to see like a 30, 10 and 10 type of game. Because this will be the type of opportunity to get it for sure. But, yeah, it'll uh, be fun. This team does not uh, have a big statement after the All Star announcement yeah. as well, so it'd be cool. Anyway, that does it for us today. I've been your host Willow. You've been listening to the Raptors Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network, brought to you by Campbell's New Chunky Spicy Soup. It's time to get fired up once again. We will have a three-hour show tomorrow starting at one PM Eastern. So tune in then. We will carry you through the trade deadline. Hopefully, there's a lot of action. We'll see you tomorrow.